Honestly, folks, I'm still a bit under the weather. Um, I'm definitely better today than I was yesterday. Uh, thank you for uh, those of you who have been praying, and uh, I invite you to keep praying so I can uh, endure uh, throughout the sermon. But uh, if you know me, then you know how much I love the Old Testament. <laughs> it might be a surprise to a few of you, I don't know. But I, I really do love the heroes of the faith. I love the way the Old Testament points to the coming of Jesus. I love the story of Israel, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how God made a promise and he fulfilled that promise. And he brought God's people up out of slavery and into a land of promise. And then he tells us all of the good and the bad and the ugly that followed. And I thank God that he doesn't whitewash the story. We see the bad and the ugly along with the good. And every time the people of God began drifting toward the ugly, God would speak through his prophets. He would reach out and woo the people that he loved. He would remind them of his love and his caring and all that he had done to give them peace and security. He gave them warnings. He gave them judgments. And as you read the prophets, you get a glimpse of the heart of God and how precious Israel really was in his eyes. And most of us know the major prophets, <clears throat> the standouts, right? Men like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel. But there are <clears throat> lesser known prophets in the Old Testament. And their stories are just as important. Their books are just as inspired but they linger in the shadows. And I want to pull one of them out of the shadows for you today, okay? Um, I want to talk about Amos. Amos was a blue-collar man all of his life. Uh, he came from a small, insignificant town called Tekoa. But God put a call on Amos's life. And he headed north to Bethel to preach God's word. And I want you to see how God toughened Amos so he could be a bold voice for righteousness as his people stepped deeper and deeper into sin. And I've called my message, Amos, the tough guy from Tekoa. <laughs> and I want to share three things from his life story, uh, things that will encourage us and equip us as gospel men and women. And the first thing I want us to look at is Amos had a tough assignment. Amos had a tough assignment. And hang with me while I give you a little bit of history. Uh, you know that David was king over the 12 tribes of Israel. And as long as he sat on the throne, the kingdom thrived, the kingdom grew, and then his son Solomon became king. And uh, the, the kingdom continued to thrive and to, uh, 
to grow in, in wealth and influence. But when Solomon died, the kingdom split. And there were only two tribes that remained loyal to the line of David. And those were the two tribes, uh, the southernmost tribes. One of them was Judah and one of them was Benjamin. The ten tribes in the north broke away and they chose a king of their own. And so as you're reading in those Old Testament historical books, what you see is that there are these two kingdoms that are existing side by side for almost 150 years. Different countries, different kings, different capital cities. And that's the background for when Amos shows up in the pages of scripture. Uh, it was a time of great wealth and prosperity, but their wealth went to their heads and they began neglecting the poor. The rich kept getting richer and they didn't show any mercy or kindness for the poor. They gave bribes, they manipulated the court system and, and God finally said enough is enough. And he handpicked a prophet to carry a message of warning and judgment. He handpicked Amos. And I thought that we could take a look together at Amos's resume. Okay, what exactly qualified Amos to be a prophet? And as the saying goes, we should probably begin at the beginning. So if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Amos, and I want us to read together chapter 1, verse 1. Amos, chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So what in the world was his work experience? Well, he was a shepherd. He was probably good with animals. I'm guessing he was uh, rugged, maybe a little rough around the edges, uh, probably not the best prophet material. Uh, so I don't know, maybe that's strike one. But then he tells us that he was from Tekoa. Uh, that's a small farming town. It's only about 10 miles from Jerusalem. But here's what you need to know. Tekoa was in the southern kingdom. And God was bringing a message to the north. And so he's sending Amos into foreign territory. He was an outsider, a foreigner. And that sounds like maybe another strike to me, strike two, I don't know. But let's go ahead, why don't we give Amos a chance, right? Let's, let's bring him in for an interview and we'll see what, uh, what he has to tell us. Maybe he'll impress us, I don't know. Uh, but, but look with me, uh, flip over a few pages to Amos chapter seven, verses 14 and 15. And, and we can hear what Amos has to say uh, from his own lips. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of figmore, sycamore trees. 
But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. So Amos adds a little bit to his work experience. Uh, He wasn't just a shepherd. He was also a dresser of sycamore trees. And what that meant was that he took care of an orchard of sycamore trees. And when the figs were ripe, he picked the figs. So it sounds to me like he was probably a, a hard worker, but that's probably not a really impressive resume if you're looking for a job as a prophet. But what about his education? Okay, that's always on your resume, right? Amos, where did you go to school? Well, he says that uh, he wasn't a prophet himself. He wasn't related to any prophets. He didn't study under any prophets. All I know is how to watch sheep and pick figs. That's my skill set. That's what I'm bringing. And that sounds like strike three to me. I, I don't see any way that this man, Amos, is qualified to speak the word of God to the people of God. But take a look with me again at verse 15. This is really the key. This is the hinge on which everything turns. It makes all the difference in the world. Amos says, but the Lord took me. But the Lord took me. And the word that's translated took literally means captured. So what is Amos saying? God captured me. He captured my heart. He captured my passions. He captured my affections. And he qualified me. Not my resume. God qualified me. There's no doubt this was a tough assignment. It was a tough message and an even tougher audience. And there was absolutely nothing in Amos's background to suggest that he was qualified to do it, except for the fact that he was called by God. And whoever God calls, he qualifies. Whoever God calls, he equips. I began thinking of the first time that Brenda and I served together in ministry here in the Wheeling area. We had a ministry at uh, Grandview Manor. Who remembers Grandview? Okay, you're old. It's, <clears throat> it's long gone. I, it used to sit on top of, uh, uh, of the Wheeling Tunnel. Um, it was low-income housing, old brick apartment buildings that were all crammed together, and a large percentage of the, uh, the population was black. Well, Brenda and I didn't have any experience with multi-housing ministry. We didn't really know anything about black culture, but that's where God put us. And we were determined to bloom where God planted us. And we did, because God equipped us. The very first friend we made at Grandview was Miss Val. And that was a God thing. Miss Val was 60-something. 
She had lived at Grandview for years and years, and she knew every kid in the neighborhood. And in black culture, a grandmother figure is highly respected. And so as we began reaching out to the kids and having church on the hill, Miss Val was our point of connection with the neighborhood and with all the kids. And God opened many, many doors for us through our friend, Miss Val. God gave a couple of newbies a job to do, a tough assignment. But with his call came equipping. So what, what's the takeaway for you and me? Now, how should this part of Amos's story affect the way that we live our lives? Well, I want to share three things with you quickly. Takeaway number one, we should check our own hearts for God's call. I'm here to say that God is still in the business of calling men and women and boys and girls. Is God calling you? Is he calling you into ministry? Is he calling you to the mission field? Is he calling you to a place where you can serve in the church? And you may be wondering, what in the world does God's call look like? Well, I'll share some uh, quotes from some of the great preachers and writers through the centuries. Martin Luther says that God's call is God's voice heard by faith. And of course, I have to quote Spurgeon. Uh, Spurgeon says that the call of God is an intense, all-absorbing desire for the work he's calling you to do. And then Al Mohler from the Southeastern Theological Seminary says, it's a sense of God's leading and purpose and a growing commitment. And I guess I would say it's the Spirit of God reaching out to you and giving you a sense of urgency and a sense of purpose, and then I'll borrow from Amos, and then capturing your heart for the work that he wants you to do. And listen, if you are sensing a call from God in your own life, then let me encourage you to pray. And then get a trusted friend who can pray with you and for you. Pray so that God will make the calling clear in your life, what he's saying, what path he's wanting you to walk. And then once he has made that calling clear, Say yes. The first step of obedience is always to say yes with a willing heart and then follow God's leading. Takeaway number two is that we should see ourselves through God's eyes. Don't let others define who you are. I can guarantee you that the devil will gladly point out the last time you sin. Your critics will gladly point out the last time you messed up and tripped up and made a mistake. And we can find ourselves asking, how can God possibly work through somebody like me? How can God work through a life that's a train wreck like mine? 
And I think Amos would say, that's the wrong question. Throw away your resume. Throw away what other people might think or say. What matters is how God sees you. And he says you're a masterpiece. You are his creation. You are the apple of his eye. You are his pride and joy. Let God speak into your life. And let his love and grace and goodness define who you are. And then takeaway number three, I think all of these truths are liberating. So much of the time we, we carry the weight of the world on our shoulders, don't we? Even when it comes to the things of God, but, but we shouldn't be carrying any of the weight. If God calls, then he equips. If God calls, then he provides. We've got to stop acting like it's our work or our ministry. It's not. It's God's. And he carries the weight. Trust God for the provision. Trust God for the success. Trust God to work through all of the twists and turns and uncertainties. Trust God. And let him carry the weight and the worry. So Amos, he had a tough assignment. And then Amos also prayed tough prayers. Amos prayed tough prayers. If you're still open at uh, Amos chapter 7, you have to pardon me, this is what we do with the puggles. This is our Bible, okay? So get your Bible, open it up. <coughs> Chapter 7, Amos chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, O Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He's so small. The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. And then I said, Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He's so small. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. Now, Amos had a terrible vision of the future. God was preparing to bring judgment against the people of God living in the northern pig kingdom. And in the first ver uh, vision, <clears throat> there was a swarm of locusts devouring the crops in the field. All of them, every morsel eaten up, nothing was left. And then in the second vision, there was a fire, a great fire. And it swallowed up all of the waters of the deep, and then it began to burn everything on the land. Two times, Israel stood on the verge of destruction. And two times, Amos prayed. 
And God heard his prayer. One man stood between the people and a judgment that would have wiped them out. One man. And what did he do? He prayed. Never, never, never underestimate the power of prayer. Especially in the face of tough situations. I want to share a few quotes with you. These are really deep. Uh, The first one is from John Wesley. Prayer is where the action is. Uh, Here's one from Spurgeon. You're welcome, Darren. I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. Think about that. Andrew Murray. Faith in a prayer-hearing God will make you a prayer-loving Christian. And then Oswald Chambers. Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. It is the greater work. And I think the writer of Hebrews would agree. Listen to what he says in uh, chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let me paraphrase this for you. When we need mercy, when we need grace, when we need any kind of help, we can come to God and we can come confidently. I think there's a terrible disease that's afflicting the church today, and it is prayerlessness. We don't have a heart for prayer. We don't make the time for prayer. And the whole church suffers as a consequence. I think one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible is Ezekiel 22.30. I'll read it in a moment. I just wanted you to have an understanding of the background. Uh, God revealed to Ezekiel all of the sins and injustices he saw among the people of God as they were living in captivity. The prophets wouldn't preach the truth. The priests were corrupting the things of God. The leaders were only interested in lining their own pockets. And so God says, I'm ready now to bring a judgment. And listen to what he says here, Ezekiel 22:30. And I sought for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. God says, I looked for someone who would step up. I looked for someone who would pray for the people. And I couldn't find anyone. Do you understand that God is ready to release mercy and grace and help? And all he's waiting for is for us to pray. Whatever tough situation you might be facing right now, pray. Come to God confidently and pray. I've prayed some tough prayers in my life. I remember when my wife was pregnant the first time. 
I've shared this story before. Uh, it should have been a routine non-stress test, but they couldn't hear a heartbeat. And I, I prayed harder than I've ever prayed in my life. I remember being in a hospital room with a woman who was on a ventilator and the family was gathered together and I prayed. I remember God waking me up at three o'clock in the morning and burdening my heart for a friend who'd made some wrong choices and was in danger of shipwrecking her faith. And I prayed. And I know there are people in the room right here, right now, who are facing tough situations. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe uh, you're struggling to make ends meet. Maybe you're burdened for a friend or a loved one. Let me encourage you to do what Amos did. Pray. Life is hard, but God is near, and he wants us to pray. The people of God are people of prayer. And it seems like all of the busyness of life crowds out my prayer time. Maybe you've experienced the same thing. So much to do and so little time. But listen, there's always time for the things that matter. And God says prayer matters. Consider what a privilege it is to pray. James says in chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God makes us a promise. As we draw near to him in prayer, we'll enjoy closeness and intimacy with him. If you want to walk with God that's growing and thriving, pray. If you want to shut out all of the noise and ruckus of the world so you can hear what God is saying, pray. If you want to experience the peace and the joy and the contentment that comes from spending time alone with the God of the universe, pray. Prayer is essential to our spiritual well-being, and that's why God doesn't just suggest it, he commands it. What does he say in 1 Thessalonians 5.17? Pray without ceasing. Or the way I said it to the kids over the summer, don't stop praying. And when prayer becomes a part of the fabric of our lives and the desire of our hearts, we won't have any trouble praying tough prayers. Amos was a man of prayer and he prayed tough prayers. And then Finally, Amos stood firm in tough situations. Amos stood firm in tough situations. Um, we're still in chapter 7, Amos chapter 7, looking at verses 10 to 17. <clears throat> then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from the land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, 
flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel. For it is the king's sanctuary and it is the temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword, and your land will be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. (laughs) That's a tough, tough word to bring. And listen, it's easy for us to miss how dangerous things were for Amos. You know, the temple, the temple that Solomon built was in Jerusalem. But when you had the uh, kingdoms dividing, uh, they wanted a temple of their own. And so they built this temple up in the, uh, the city of Bethel. And that's where Amos was preaching, right in the midst of the crowds as they were coming into the temple to worship. And all of a sudden, Amos finds himself face-to-face with the high priest, a man by the name of Amaziah. And Amaziah says, I know who you are. (coughs) I know you. And you, sir, are a troublemaker. I've talked to the king about you. The king knows the things you've been preaching. And I'm telling you, he won't stand for it. And then look at verse 12. He says, go back. Go back to where you came from. And as you process all of this uh, passage of Scripture, remember that Amos is a foreigner, right? You, You can almost see the high priest handing Amos his deportation papers. Uh, And if I could sum up his speech in just five words, it would be, get out and stay out. And believe me, that wasn't an idle threat. This is the high priest. He has charge of the temple guards. All he has to do is snap his finger. And they'll come and they'll arrest Amos. And they'll throw him out and they'll rough him up. And Amos knew it. And he had a choice to make. Do I stand or do I run? Do I stand firm and do what God has given me to do, or do I run away? And it's the same choice that you and I, as believers, have to make every single day. Do we stand, or do we run? We could be undergoing a temptation. We could be facing a situation where it's easy to compromise what we know to be true. Or maybe we know God wants us to stand up and to speak truth. But that comes with a price. And the question is always the same. Do we stand firm? 
And I think what happens too often is that we think it requires a lot of effort on our part to stand firm. It takes all of this strength of will and and courage, but it doesn't. I want to share an amazing verse with you. Uh, It's tucked away in one of the Old Testament history books, so I'll forgive you for not seeing it before. But it's in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 17. Israel was in trouble again. It was being attacked, not by one army, but by an alliance of three armies. And so you have all of the people praying and fasting, including the king. And God speaks this word of assurance. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position. And see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them and the Lord will be with you. It doesn't get any better than that. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. You don't have to fight. God will do the fighting for you. All you have to do is show up and trust him. And standing firm means exactly that. Showing up and trusting him. Stop thinking about how weak and inadequate you are and stop, start thinking about how strong God is. Stand firm. You know, you can always tell when there's something in the Bible that's important because God repeats it over and over again. So I want, I want to share three verses with you quickly. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And then 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. Uh, Peter is uh, closing out his letter. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. God wants us to know as we face any temptation or tough situation, We should, what? Stand firm. Trust God to be with us and to fight the fight for us. And I looked for a story to try to illustrate this. I'm sure most of you in the room probably know uh, the Narnia books by C.S. Lewis, right? Um, Prince Caspian is one of those books. And if you've ever seen the movie... There's an amazing scene where there's an entire army that's gathered by a riverbank. And they're all dressed in their full armor, head to toe. They've got their swords, they've got their shields, 
They've got their spears. Their commander is in front, ready for them to march it at the word. And then on the other side of the river, there stands a little girl, Lucy, Lucy Pevensey. She's a teenager. And as she's looking across the river at this army that's ready to attack, she draws a small knife from her belt, no bigger than that, and she just smiles. It's ridiculous, isn't it? It's ridiculous to think that this one girl can stand up against this entire army. But Lucy knows something, and more importantly, she knows someone. She knows the great lion, Aslan. He's the creator of Narnia. He's the one who sang Narnia into existence, and he's the one who gave his own life to save Narnia. And as Lucy stands on the riverbank, Aslan shows up, and he walks up and stands by Lucy's side. And I won't ruin the ending for you, but I can tell you this much, it was Aslan who fought the battle. And it was Aslan who brought the victory. What a great picture of what it means to stand firm. We, we stand on God's promises and we trust him to come through for us. That's our part, standing firm, trusting fully in him. And then God, like the lion Aslan, steps up and he does his part. He stands by our side. He fights the battle and he wins the victory every time. I want to draw us to a close and as I do, I want to ask you a question. And you know, whoever's behind the pulpit asks this question every week. And please don't, don't just let it sail over your heads. I'm, I'm asking you this question in all sincerity. And I, I want you please to open your heart, open your mind as I ask the question. Do you have a saving relationship with Jesus? I'm not asking if you come to church I'm not asking if you're on a membership roll. I'm not asking if you drop money every week into the offering. I'm asking, do you know Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? Have you said yes to Jesus for everything in your life? Because he died for you. He went to the cross and he died the death that should have been yours. And then he rose again victoriously. And he's inviting you to come to be a part of his kingdom and to live with him eternally. If you don't know Jesus, please, this can be the day. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you don't know Jesus, this is the time. This is the day. And then for the Christians in the room, if you have said yes to Jesus, if you've trusted Jesus for your salvation, let me just ask you a few questions from Amos' story. Is there a call of God in your life? And have you said yes? How's your prayer life? 
Are you enjoying fellowship with God in prayer? Are you coming to God in boldness and confidence and asking for the mercy and the help that only he can bring? And are you standing firm? Are you planting your feet on the things you know to be true and trusting God and God alone to fight the fight? I want to invite you to stand. We'll have uh, Miss Laura and the praise team come forward. We'll sing a song. However God may have spoken today, I want to urge you, act on it. Don't, don't just let it go by. Whatever God is saying, whatever he's speaking, however he's tugging or nudging at your heart, do something about it today.
Good singing as always, church. Uh, I hope you can say that it was good to worship together with the people of God today. And I do encourage you to uh, stick around and enjoy fellowship uh, with your brothers and sisters. I do have one announcement uh, to make before we close. The elder ministry uh, is bringing before the church two uh, elder candidates, uh, Seth White and Brady West. We have uh, watched their lives. We have uh, spent hours interrogating them, and uh, we are satisfied that they are called of God, they have a desire to serve, and they meet the biblical qualifications of elder. Uh, It has been our practice in the past to leave open a window of time Uh, If anyone has any uh, biblical objection uh, to either of these two men uh, being ordained to the office of elder, we would ask you to please uh, let one of the elders know. Uh, We'll we'll leave that open for uh, two weeks, and then we will uh, schedule a a date and a time for their ordination. But uh, please pray for these men. Um, they're, They're entering into a a, a difficult ministry. It's rewarding, but, but it is a difficult ministry. Um, if all hearts are free, uh, why don't we bow and we'll dismiss with prayer. God, we thank you for uh, Amos and for uh, his toughness, and we pray that we would be tough in our own lives. Help us to be tough in the assignments you give us as we lean into your Holy Spirit. And, uh, and all of your gifting and enablement. God, we pray that we would pray tough prayers. Help us to trust you. Help us to know, God, that we can draw near to you boldly and confidently. And then, God, we pray that we would stand firm. Help us, God, to uh, understand that it's not about our strength. Um, the fight's not ours. The fight belongs to you. Just give us the... Uh, the understanding, Lord, that it's, it's all about our faith and our confidence in you and that you fight the fight and you bring the victory. And now, God, we ask that you would dismiss us with your blessing. Help us in the coming week to be the light of Christ to the world. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. God bless you.